Would you turn with me in your Bibles tonight to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number one. We're going to start here and move on to Matthew chapter 26, but start with me by turning to Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one tonight, and we'll be looking at verses 16 through 18 in a sermon that I've titled Preeminent in All Things, Preeminent in All Things, Colossians 1, 16 to 18. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if we were to take the time, we could easily come up with all sorts of reasons why Christ deserves to be preeminent in all things. And the truth is, we don't have to make the argument because Christ is already preeminent in all things. He is the creator. He is the one who spoke all things into existence out of nothing, which gives him power over all creation. But the problem rests with the crown of his creation, human beings. When God first created man, he gave us a free will. Not that we could remove ourselves from being under God's sovereign power and control, but that we were free to make our own decisions. As wise as God created us, and as, as much knowledge as he has given us about himself, strangely enough, we are the only part of his creation that struggles to see at times that Christ is preeminent in all things, specifically with relation to us. Sure, we may give him the glory in some areas, if not most, but when it comes to having preeminence in the affections of our hearts, in the thoughts of our minds, or even the desires of our souls, and even the highest praises of our lips, that's where we struggle. The Apostle Paul presented this argument here in Colossians chapter 1 by reminding every single believer about the almighty power of Christ in creation. The fact that God is not only the author of all creation, he also has authority over his creation, but he's also the sustainer over all of his creation. Consider what he said about Christ here in Colossians chapter 1. And in fact, I'm going to begin at verse number 15 as the context is speaking of Christ here. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. At the end there, that in all things he might have the preeminence. There is no doubt that Jesus Christ is the author of creation. He himself, not being a created being, existing for all eternity, having no beginning, no ending, spoke all things into existence out of nothing. When we behold the wonder and the glory of the world which Jesus has created, our response should be to worship him, to honor him all the more. And maybe consider a few aspects of his beautiful creation. Comets have vapor trails that are up to 10,000 miles long. Scientists have estimated that if you could somehow capture all of that vapor, over 10,000 miles worth of all of that vapor, and if you could put it in a bottle, 
Believe it or not, the amount of vapor actually present in that bottle from the over 10,000 mile long vapor trail would take up less space than one cubic inch. One cubic inch of space. Saturn's rings are approximately 500,000 miles in circumference around the planet. And yet, they're only about one foot thick. If the sun were the size of a beach ball and you placed the sun on the top of the Empire State Building, the nearest group of stars would be as far away as Australia is to the Empire State Building. The earth travels around the sun about eight times the speed of a bullet that is fired from a gun. There are more insects in just one square mile of rural land than there are human beings on the entire planet. A single human chromosome contains 20 billion bits of information. And if you're wondering how much information that is, I'll tell you. If you were to write it all into as many books as you could come up with, it would compile over 4,000 volumes of books in just a single human chromosome. This gives you just a taste of the incredible nature and ability of God to speak all of this into existence out of absolutely nothing. And while none of us may argue that Christ is preeminent in all parts of his creation, somehow we still struggle to show it when it comes to us personally. Is Christ preeminent in all of our lives? If we allowed a camera crew to follow us around and document what we did over the course of a day or a week or a month, would the results conclude that Christ is indeed preeminent in every area of our lives? Now, that's not saying that everything we do and say should be about Christ. However, our lives overall should serve to give that testimony where God is glorified and Christ is indeed preeminent in all things. So this is what it says here in Colossians 1.16, that Christ, by virtue of being the creator of all things, is indeed preeminent in all things. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. So we've laid the groundwork for what the Bible says should be the case. It's evident in nature by its very existence. It is indeed declaring that Christ is preeminent in all areas but in the area of the crown of God's creation human beings this is where we tend to struggle by giving God giving Christ preeminence in our lives as you're turning to Matthew chapter 26 in verses 6 through 13 we're going to read about the account where a woman came and anointed the head of Jesus with a very precious and expensive ointment. Listen to what these verses tell us. Matthew 26 and verses 6 through 13. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial." Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this 
that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Verse 8 there in Matthew chapter 26 tells us that the disciples had all sorts of thoughts swirling through their minds as they saw this woman anoint the head of Jesus. But this woman had only one thought on her mind, and that was to honor and glorify her Savior. When it comes to our own service and ministry for Christ, we should, we should be seeking to do that which is above all else, a sacred sacrifice of pure love to our Savior. Sometimes we get so narrow-minded thinking that there is really only one way where we can serve the Lord or one specific area where we can serve the Lord. And when those opportunities are closed off, we, we, we can uh, tell ourselves that, well, the Lord must have closed the door. And doesn't want me to serve here. And it's true that the Lord often closes doors, but don't be so quick to think that the Lord hasn't also opened up another door for us to go and to serve and minister for him and maybe even equipped us in that capacity. But we have to be aware of, of what he's doing and have an eye open to the fact that doors may be closing while other doors may be opening. It may, it may involve that God is stretching us a little bit out of our comfort zone to do something that maybe we weren't necessarily expecting. Either way, we need to be finding something that we can be doing for the Lord. Whether in public or in private, we need to just do something for the Lord. Service for the Lord isn't limited to things that are being done here around the church. Between you and the Lord, let there be a special and a clear manifestation of your personal love for your Savior. I can't tell you what you should do. I can't tell you even what that service should look like. Because honestly, it's probably just between you and the Lord. He hasn't revealed to me what every single person's specific area of ministry is going to be. What you do for the Lord should be done out of your own personal love for Him. So if I tell you what you should do, it's going to be less for the Lord and more for me. And look at the example of the woman that we see here in Matthew chapter 26. At no point do we see her approach any one of the disciples and say, you know, I'm looking to do something really nice for Jesus. Can you give me an idea? Point me in the right direction. Give me some guidance as to how I can show my love for the Savior. At no point does she say that. She didn't approach him and say, you know, what could I give to Jesus to show him just how much he means to me and just how much I love him. All we see is what's recorded there in verses 6 and 7. Again, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at me. That's it. That's it. She hasn't consulted with the disciples. She hasn't consulted with anyone. She just comes because this is how she feels is the best way she can demonstrate her love for her Savior. She just shows up and starts anointing the head of Jesus with this precious ointment. She came up with this on her own, not through the help of anyone else or, or the disciples or her friends or anyone. She considered who Christ was to her personally and desiring to show him that he was indeed preeminent in all areas of her life, she took the most costly possession she had and sacrificed it by anointing the head of Jesus with that ointment. Some of us have idols that we couldn't imagine living without. And in case you're wondering what it is, just imagine what you couldn't live with for a day or for a week or for a month. Some of us, it's, it's our, our cell phones. Imagine what it would be like if I took away your cell phone for a week. How many of you would panic? Oh, you're all lying. Someone would. What if we, we took away television for a month? 
Have at it. Okay, one person. What if we took away the computer or junk food or soda or a hobby or some relatives, friends, or a million other things that we've made idols out of? All of these simple things that we go through and and have over the course of our lives can be made idols and anything really that is drawing our attention away from the one who deserves all of our attention is an idol. And these idols are things that we struggle to sacrifice because of how much they mean to us personally. It It may not mean all that much to anyone else, but to us, it's incredibly valuable because we can't spare it to live without it for a day or a week or a month. This woman was laser-focused on the right thing, and that is her Savior. And that is why she was able to grab probably the most valuable possession that was in her home and sacrifice it for her Savior. She didn't sacrifice it reluctantly. The disciples didn't come to her and say, you want to show Jesus the best way how much you love him? Go home. I've seen that alabaster box that you have sitting on your mantle that has been an idol over, over your house for this entire time. Go home, grab that, break it open, and anoint the head of Jesus. And she didn't balk at that saying, uh, anything else? You know, I've got something else that I can give to him. No, she didn't do any of this. She found probably the most prized possession that she had not reluctantly not against her will but rather joyfully she came and she anointed the head of jesus it didn't matter that the disciples who watched her do this were more concerned about how much it was worth how much money was being wasted and how they could have used that money to help the poor she didn't care about it one bit she was well aware of how much that ointment was worth and what could be done with the money should she have sold it And she poured it on the head of Jesus anyways. What does that say about this woman's devotion to Christ? She was making a very clear statement regarding who was preeminent in her own personal life. But more so than just making a statement, she was doing the best thing she could to give honor and glory to her Savior. I feel like as much as we... Uh, we call what we do here in church as worship. Worship is often the one thing that ends up being missing. We'll sing, we'll talk, we'll fellowship, but much of the time that we come and we gather together in our services, worship kind of gets pushed out of the way. The best part of our public gatherings should be worship. And what I mean by that is direct worship. The first place of everything that we do here should be given to give praise and honor to Christ. And if we're honest, I think there are many times where we're singing quote-unquote worship songs or hymns of praise that the words are directed towards Christ, but our minds are somewhere else. And so though we're saying the right things and we're in the right place, the setting is all set. It's not true worship. Maybe we're thinking about lunch plans or dinner plans. Maybe we're thinking about who we're going to talk to after the service. Maybe we're thinking about, you know, a book that we just read or a movie that we just watched. Maybe we're thinking about the people that are around us in church and what they're thinking of us. Or we're thinking about what we did yesterday. We're doing all this while singing a song of praise to Christ. 
But are we truly worshiping Christ? Perhaps we've had a bad day. Maybe we're not feeling the best. And so we commend ourselves for, you know, putting on a brave face, putting ourselves together. Just being in church should count for something. Does Christ not know what we're dealing with and going through from day to day? Does he not know how we're feeling and what we're thinking? With all the things that we have going on in our lives, can we not give him even an hour of undivided attention and unhindered worship? With all that Christ has done for us, is he not worthy of our best? A few moments ago, we sang worthy of worship. We sang it. But are our lives and our time and devotion here actually demonstrating it? What often ends up happening is that our church services become more a time for us to praise one another more so than praising Christ. Our focal point should be to offer our sincere and our utmost praise to our Savior, as we see this woman doing here in Matthew chapter 26. There's nothing wrong with seeking um, good, uh, good friends and fellowship with people in church, but our lives should be patterned by our devotion to Christ first and our desire to give him the utmost glory. As we consider who Christ is to us, our hearts should pour forth with praise to him. While I cannot tell you what that will look like for you personally, because it will probably look different person to person, I can tell you that the Holy Spirit will be the one to show your heart the way that you should be living. I can offer you a little advice about doing some good work for Christ and that we would be to never allow selfishness to creep in. Probably the first thing, never allow selfishness to creep in. Selfish motives, selfish ambitions like to creep into every area of our service for Christ because deep down, our human desires wish that we would receive some credit, that we would get some sort of recognition and acknowledgement for the things that we've done, whether in church or even outside of church. We want our service for Christ recognized in some capacity. And as much as possible, we must protect ourselves from this disease, which it is, because it only, det it only detracts from what we should be doing for Christ and how we should be serving him. Never do anything for the Lord out of a love for popularity. Never do anything for the Lord because of, you know, a certain person is watching. There are times when service for Christ cannot be hidden. But even when it's public, there is a way to go about it where it's clear that it's still not selfishly motivated. Look again at what we read here in Matthew 26 and verses 6 and 7. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, it's in a very public place. There's other people around, but it says there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Nothing we read about what this woman did was for a public show. She didn't burst into the house and say, all right, everyone, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to do because this is of the utmost importance and I want everyone to take knowledge and record of what I'm about to do for Jesus. She doesn't announce herself. She doesn't announce what she's doing. She comes in. I don't know if she was invited, but she was there. And the first thing she does is to just approach Jesus and all of a sudden start anointing his head with this precious ointment. 
None of this was an attempt to draw any sort of attention to herself. It may have been done in public, as we see here, but everything she did stemmed from a desire to show her love and devotion to Christ the best way she could. It just happened that there were other people that were around. That is literally all that was driving her on this occasion. No self-glorification, no praise of men, only her best praise of her Savior so that he alone might receive all the glory. Don't allow selfishness to creep in in your service for Christ. Also, don't be afraid of receiving any sort of criticism. Look, at what we, look again at what we see in verses 8 and 9. As she's anointing Jesus' head, it said, but when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Can you believe this response from the disciples? This woman was clearly anointing the head of Jesus for no personal gain, for no self-glorification, no selfish motive whatsoever, but only to give glory to Christ and to show him their utmost love that she has for him. And yet, here are the disciples watching this happen, and it says they're indignant at what they viewed as being waste. It would be bad enough for them to think of this act as wasteful, but they didn't just think it. They voiced their criticism. Again, but when his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? They're voicing this criticism. This is the best way that she can honor her Lord and it just so happened to be in public with the disciples watching, and now she's being criticized for this. If you can honor the Lord by doing some public service for Him, by all means do it, and don't be afraid of what criticism may come. And sadly, sometimes the worst criticism that comes is from fellow believers. I'll be honest, there are some people who go out of their way to attract not only attention, but also criticism. The point in all of this is to serve the Lord as if no one else is watching. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Even if everyone around you stops what they're doing to stare at what you're doing, don't let it get to you. Don't let selfishness creep in. Don't be afraid of it. Also, don't make it a point to congratulate yourself for what you've done. Don't make it a point to congratulate yourself for what you've done. Do you think this woman went home and said to herself, well done. God will surely be pleased with me knowing that I sacrificed the most expensive possession for his only begotten son. Do you think she patted herself on the back as she was going home that night the moment you start congratulating yourself is the moment you reveal that your motivation behind the service was all wrong to begin with. The true servant for Christ always feels like he has never done enough. I fully believe that when this woman went home, she was probably not able to sleep that night thinking about what else she should have done for the Lord that day. Because in her mind, she was probably thinking, I didn't do enough even though she probably took the most expensive possession she had and sacrificed it by anointing the head of Jesus. The true servant that she was probably was staying up at night thinking, it wasn't enough. He deserved so much more 
than the little that I was able to give to him. She was probably responding like one of the unprofitable servants that are recorded for us in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 10, where it says, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded to you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. There is so much more that we can be doing for Christ. Don't forget that Christ is looking for a service that is self-sacrificing. The best way for us to show our love and our devotion to Christ is by sacrificing something for him. Look again at what we read in verses 8 and 9. Matthew 26, verses 8 and 9 says, But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. This was expensive, precious ointment that was poured on the head of Jesus, which could have been sold, as the disciples said, for a whole bunch of money and used to help probably many needy people. This wasn't an old bottle of perfume that this woman had somewhere on a shelf in the back of her closet that she found and quickly dusted off really quick and brought it to Jesus to give off the show or the impression that she truly cares for him. We don't know this woman's financial situation, but we do know that she sacrificed something that was incredibly valuable for the service of the Lord here in Matthew 26. Sacrifice involves us feeling as if we've actually given something away and something that actually hurts to give away. It's not sacrifice when we give away something that we were never using. Sacrifice involves giving away something or giving up something that you feel it when it's gone. Sometimes it hurts. But either way, you know that something has been given up or given away. And often the best way we can measure what we're doing for Christ is not by what we have given, but what we have left. If we have a whole lot that's left, we probably haven't given Christ all that much. And we certainly haven't given as much as the widow gave in Luke chapter 21. Listen to what Jesus taught in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth, I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her pedery hath cast in all the living that she had. This woman from the poverty that she had cast in two mites along with the woman here in Matthew chapter 26. These two women were incredibly self-sacrificing. They gave of their most expensive and that which was the most needful to them. Above all, we need to abandon this notion that work and service for Christ is only worthwhile if we stand to gain something out of it. We should never be asking ourselves before we enter into some service and area of ministry, what do I stand to gain? What is the good that will come out of this? Or like the disciples asked, to what purpose is this waste? If what we're doing is to glorify Christ, just do it. Just do it and accept that motive as the most conclusive reason. If something you're going to do for Christ should bring you dislike or disapproval and threaten to deprive you of having some sort of advantage, do it anyways. 
Service for Christ is never about what we stand to gain out of it or how, what, how much we're going to fare better afterwards. We're not serving Christ to gain popularity. There's no worldly gain that we should be anticipating to receive. And in all honesty, what could possibly compare to knowing that you have pleased the Lord? What should else we expect to get from the world? A great deal of people, though, refuse to serve Christ because of how much they fear it will affect them negatively in the future. They're concerned about a sacrifice being too much to where they won't be able to do the things that they've grown accustomed to doing today. That widow in Luke chapter 21 who gave those two mites, which is drop in the bucket, literally, compared to what some of these rich people were throwing in, she gave every last cent she had to God. She knew she had needs going forward, but she was trusting enough that the very same God she was honoring with the offering would also reward her faithfulness by taking care of her tomorrow. I'm not saying that we should all go and empty our bank accounts and throw it all in the offering plate the next time it comes by or that we should drop everything that we're doing. Neither am I suggesting that we should forsake all of our future plans and never think about how we can provide for ourselves going forward. Jesus talked a whole lot about planning for the future. What I am saying is that we shouldn't be worried about these things when it comes to figuring out how we're going to serve the Lord. Don't let these things weigh on you and prevent you from getting busy in the service of the Lord because you're too busy thinking about how you're going to be set up for the future. Do what is right to serve the Lord and don't be afraid of how provisions are going to be met come tomorrow or the next day or the next month. Do you not know that God is aware of your ability, of your financial situation, of all the responsibilities that you need to take care of where you are and where you work and everything else that you have going on in your life? It's not as if God has called you to do something and he's forgotten that you have to eat tomorrow. When you make sacrifices for him, do you not know that he is aware of what you sacrificed, how much it cost you to give up what you gave up? how it's going to affect you going forward. So trust that as you're diligent to serve him and to sacrifice for him, that he is also going to be faithful to take care of you from day to day. Now, there are some who will try to discourage you from serving the Lord, and they'll point out that no one else seems to benefit from what you're doing. However large the cost, I promise you nothing is ever wasted in the service of the Lord. The disciples here looked at the ointment that was poured on Jesus' head, and they viewed it as a waste Again, to what purpose is this waste? Not one of them said, wow, would you look at how much that woman loves, loves the Lord. Can you believe that? She sacrificed such a costly item to demonstrate how much she loves him. Not one of them said that. It says rather, they had indignation. Indignation and looking upon what she's doing as waste. They're looking at this as if so many more people could have been benefited. How dare you waste something on one person when it could have impacted and helped out a huge group of people? So what if only one person stands to benefit from how you're serving the Lord? Did your service please the Lord? It's no one else's business but your own because that is what God has called you to do, where he's called you to go, and who he's called you to go to. 
And that is why Jesus said such in verse number 10. It says, when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. There are some times when people make ministry difficult. The only problem is that without people, we have no ministry. There are always going to be people who are critical about what you're doing and how you're doing it. As long as you're serving the Lord, as long as the Lord is pleased with what you're doing, it matters not what others may say. In ministry, we can spend so much time and spend so much effort on all sorts of different things, and sometimes it is important for us to honor our master. Find out what it is that will please the Lord and get busy doing just that. Don't let your mind be concerned with what others may say or how others may be affected. Christ deserves all that we can do for him. In fact, he deserves infinitely more than all that we can do for him. Sometimes we get in our own heads too much and tell ourselves that our work for the Lord is useless. Again, the disciples felt that what this woman did to Christ was a waste. But notice what Jesus said in verses 11 and 12. He says, For you have the poor always with you, which they said could have been benefited by selling this ointment. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. There have been people who have done great things for Christ when at the time they did it it wasn't yet clear just how great and significant it would be. This woman had no idea just how significant an act this was. And Jesus tells the disciples that were there, you have no idea how significant this was. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Many things that we do, we don't see at the time just how important and significant they are. As time went on, it became clear that this was exactly what was needed, just as Christ says regarding what this woman has done for him. People may think that you're a little strange for the things that you're doing right now. But a few years from now, it might make perfect sense to them as they see what purpose the Lord brought from all that work you were doing. Despite what the disciples said that day, the loving act of this woman was not wasted. Look at what Jesus said in verse 13. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. And here we are, talking about what this woman had done for Christ. Even as Jesus said, she was looked upon as strange, she was looked upon as being incredibly wasteful, and now as we look back, we see the tremendous purpose to which her love for Christ was used in this single act. This wonderful account has made it onto the pages of Scripture. And many today are able to read it and learn about how they too can serve God in the best way possible. The influence of that alabaster box of very precious ointment continues to this day and will continue on until the Lord returns and the gospel continues to go forth. Where Whenever we meet anyone who has done anything for the Lord, we're still able to smell the wonderful aroma from that precious ointment. If you're serving the Lord in a private way and you're not seeking any sort of public acknowledgement so much as you're seeking to honor the Lord, the Lord can one day use you as an example to believers in the ages to come. We need more believers 
that are eager to serve Christ sacrificially. We need more believers who are willing to set aside any sort of personal gain, personal agenda, and just give glory to Christ. We need more believers who are ready to give Christ the preeminence in all of their lives. We tend to get so focused on what we're going to look like to others, how we're going to fare coming through, what others might think of us, that we neglect so many opportunities that are presented to serve the Lord. We need more believers like this woman here in Matthew chapter 26 who was only concerned about one thing, and that was giving her highest praise to the only one that deserved it. She didn't care who was present. It didn't matter to her what the disciples said of her and all of the actions that she did there that day. She wasn't worshiping them and she wasn't seeking their approval. She was worshiping her Savior the best way she could and nothing else mattered. If only we could be less concerned with all the things that are happening on the peripheral. If only we could be less concerned with what people might say or think about us. We're, we're able to drown out all the noise and all the criticism when Christ alone is our sole focus and when he indeed has the preeminence in our lives. When he is preeminent, nothing and no one stands in our way. Christ honored this woman when he stood up for her and he declared that what she was doing was not only not wasteful, but indeed a good work. Again, in verse number 10, Why trouble ye the woman, for she hath wrought a good work upon me. God's is the only opinion that matters. He is the only one that we should be striving to please. So may we learn the importance of giving Christ the preeminence in all things in our lives. And may our actions show forth the love for Christ that pours out from a heart that seeks to please him. Would you bow with me in prayer here this evening? Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder that we have of what service for you should look like. Lord, I think it's easy for us to, to fall into the idea that, Lord, the people around us should dictate what we do and what we say. Lord, help us to get out of this mindset that anyone or anything else should ever dictate what we do and how we serve you. Lord, Colossians 1 is very clear that you are indeed preeminent in all things. And Lord, we haven't always lived that way, at least allowing you to be preeminent in our thoughts, in the desires of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that there may be a change and that it may be evident by how we go forth serving you, much like this woman in Matthew chapter 26, not caring about what others may think or what they may say, but just caring about honoring and glorifying our Savior as much as possible. For you are the one that is indeed worthy of all of our worship and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.